Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me Welcome you to the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan, and I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god. The legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And the Celtics uh, just continue to win. It's uh, it's kind of insane. They are just dominating on the West Coast. They destroyed the Sacramento Kings, which is, you know, kind of be, to be expected. But then they put a thorough beatdown on the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic last night. And Jay, I know I represent usually the more optimistic view, the uh, someone who likes to put positivity in the world. But I think after the game or after that second quarter against the Nuggets where the Celtics just went on that insane run, I think that was the first time I legitimately let myself believe that the Celtics could win the NBA championship. I'm not saying they're going to that do it. The, I'm not saying I'm expecting them to. That was to, the first. I'm, I'm surprised that's the first time, given how optimistic you get. Well, my optimism in the past, and I, I've been a victim of uh, too high expectations. And so I've really tried to temper them this year. But they just with like their smothering defense and then just to be able to put on an offensive barrage like that. It was the first time I felt myself going, oh, maybe they really, they really have something here. I, I'm still going to temper my expectations and not saying I expect them to do so, but um, if they offense can just score points like that, it's like the question is, is obviously going to be with their offense, but if they can just pile on points like that, like there's definitely a reason to be excited. And is my, is my optimism justified? I guess is my question for you. I mean, they've been playing at a pretty insane level lately, given where they were earlier. And you know, go out West. And yes, Stephen Curry got hurt early in the Warriors game, but the Celtics, even when he was in there, were really, really limiting the Warriors offense. Then handle the Kings like teams should handle the Kings, but just totally dominate them. And then you run into another MVP candidate, Nikola Jokic, and do it against him too and and really not shut him down because nobody shuts down Jokic but limit him to a, a pretty mortal game and I think what's what's impressed me most about the Celtics recently is that they just seem to have a lot of different answers you know they, they've run into John Morant they ran in for 
to a quarter for a quarter at least they ran into all the shooting that that the Warriors had with Klay Thompson and Stephen Curry and Jordan Poole in that starting lineup. They ran into Nikola Jokic, who beats you in totally different ways. And they've had answers for all of it. They've solved it all. And I think that's the most optimistic part. That's that's the part that gives you hope, um, gives hope to the fans for the Celtics that that, you know what, maybe maybe they are good enough to to compete when when they're up against some of these top, top teams in a playoff setting. Yeah, they their defense is just, and I feel like the you've seen tweets last night, but there's just like not a lot you can do. And I know that a team that switches on everything is this like that's the hardest defense to kind of go against. But it doesn't seem like there's been a solution that anyone has figured out of like, oh, this is the way to exploit the Celtics and this is the way to beat the Celtics. And it feels like the defense is going to be there. And if they're going to be holding teams to around 100 points, um, no matter what the matchup, the question is going to come down to just whether or not they can score. And I don't think they're going to be able to get 30 points from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown every night. But if they do, and there's certainly potential to do that, I feel like that's a guaranteed victory. The question is always going to become from the offensive end. And it just feels like the ball movement. Um, now, I wouldn't say that they're the played some amazing defenses as of late. Um, like the last good defense they played uh, was in that Mavericks game, and the Mavericks did a pretty decent job of slowing them down. But it just feels like they're doing a pretty damn good job of scoring the basketball, uh, moving the basketball, and kind of creating good looks where um, it's allowing guys to kind of step up and um, knock down shots. And I think something that's pretty interesting Lately, and I don't know if this is more of a, a cause to concern or a, a reason to kind of celebrate, but Peyton Pritchard's been closing games and playing, it feels like, a kind of a larger role, and he's really been doing a good job of knocking down shots. Is that a reason to celebrate, or is it cause for concern because Derek well, White? I, I don't think we've really been there. We haven't really seen a closing lineup in a while. That's fair. Like, they haven't been in a close game where – they had to turn to their best five down the stretch. You know, they they have just been just running, dismantling teams. Well, um, Pritchard did play uh, the final the closing lineup against the Mavericks. Like they did want shooting on the court just because how much attention Tatum was getting. Yeah, for sure. And, and the Mavericks were really selling out to to double Tatum in an aggressive, aggressive way. Like I, he gets doubles every game, but they ratcheted it up to a level that that's pretty rare um, e- even for a guy like Tatum. So shooting in that game was r- really important. And, and I think part of that too is Pritchard hit two big threes early in the fourth and Udoka tends to reward guys who are playing well. Like he, he like he leans towards sticking with the guys who got him there more so than I think a lot of coaches do. Um, maybe I'm just overreacting to, to, certain decisions he's made, but, but it feels like that. But yeah, I, I think the, obviously the way Pritchard has shot the ball, like yeah, it's, it's great to have him on the court right now. He, he's made, he's nine for nine over his last two games. Um, we should predict what happens in the Thunder game, because I think by the time a lot of people listen to this, the, that game will have been played. 
So we should predict that game. Um, maybe we'll predict a seven for seven Pritchard performance to eclipse his four for four and five for five. But yeah, the, the Derek maybe we will predict that. We're just going to talk about what we might predict later in the episode. We're predicting what we might predict at this time. So I predict I might predict that. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the, the Derek White thing is a looming potential issue. And obviously Peyton Pritchard can give you more shooting. He's at 40% now for the season, just like he was last year when he shot, I think it was 41.3. And to get to that point from where he started the season, he was like 20, in the twenties for a while. Like he's, he's shot the hell out of the ball since, since taking on a, a bigger role. And, and so, you know, you can get that from him and you know, he can transform the offense and give you a, a different shape for the offense and give you an outlet for Tatum Brown, everybody else. But I also think that White's defense, when it matters, is going to be very important. And if if you can get him shooting just just pretty good, like he doesn't have to shoot fifty percent from he doesn't have to shoot in the forties. But if he can get to the point where he at least somewhat makes teams pay for leaving him, because I think at this point it's pretty clear they are going to leave Derek White. Pretty, pretty open. Um, and he's got he's to at least knock down enough shots that that, that defense, defensive strategy won't be overwhelming um, and will force him off the court. Yeah, there's only so much you can do, like attacking closeouts or attacking space. Um, as, so at the end of the day, Derek White needs to hit shots. And I think it's important just because as good as Peyton Pritchard has been, he is kind of vulnerable on the defensive end and kind of the appeal of the Celtics and like the theory of the Celtics in the playoffs is having five guys in their closing lineup where there is no defensive weakness. And I think that's something that they have with their starting lineup. I think it's something where you could slide Grant Williams in there uh, for Al Horford uh, or possibly go Horford and, and Grant, but you still don't have enough shooting, I guess, if you have that many bigs on the court. And so the uh, Derek White and the kind of the key to Derek White is being a guy who can give you some offense while not losing any of that defensive versatility and that ability to switch one through five. And I think the thing that is I'm trying to figure out now for the Boston Celtics, like clearly they're in the mix for like after the um, Thunder game, if they win and the Sixers lose, they could be in uh, the two seed in the Eastern Conference. Like clearly, they're going to be, I think, finish in a top four seed in the East. I think the question is, they are dominating teams. They're absolutely kicking the shit out of teams. Like StatMuse has a new absurd statistic, multiple absurd statistics after every Celtics win, 21 out of the last 25, whatever the record is when Marcus Smart's playing. What does this kind of stretch of dominance? Like, how much does it translate to their performance in the playoffs? Because as you said, they're not really playing their closing lineups. They're not really, like, they're really beating the crap out of, like, the last teams. Is that, like, an indicative of what their performance is going to be in playoffs? And what can this, like, they take from, I know, this kind of recent stretch of games where they've just been unworldly? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is that they're just playing with, with a totally different energy, uh, with a totally different sense of purpose. Like, and, and I think everyone gets caught up in the ball movement 
and, and the ball movement's nice. But I think the, the player movement, to me, is just as important. And one play against the Nuggets really stood out to me. And that was when Tatum, Gordon was guarding Tatum. And Tatum got him leaning a little bit, tossed it to Robert Williams, relocated, and then shot a quick trigger three once he got the ball back. And and those are the type. I don't want to say that fuck it's easy because he's got Aaron Gordon chasing him, and it's like that's that's not easy. But it was a clean look that he got because he was thinking the game and he was moving with with intelligence. And I think those are the buckets that they didn't get enough of earlier in the season when it was a lot of pounding the ball into the ground and going one on one. Like you see. The the then the, the dunk when Tatum, you know, came down the lane and didn't dunk on Jokic because Jokic kind of made a business decision or just wasn't there in time. But Will Barton doesn't defend that well. Jason Tatum just goes back door into the middle of the lane. Smart hits him. It's it's a huge huge dunk, and Tatum is screaming into the crowd, which has a ton of Celtics fans. And those are the moments like. You know that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to do a lot of difficult things, and they're capable of doing that when they have to. But the easier they can make it, both for themselves and others. Uh, and I, I think the the team wide commitment to to movement and and making the right play and and you know the, just the the level of cutting and everything like. It's just totally different than it was earlier in the season. So plays like that, I think, translate. And plays like that alleviate the pressure on you, you know, deep deep in a playoff game or, or in a playoff setting. Like, the the more you can get of that, the, the tougher it is for a defense. Because you can't really plan for stuff like that. You know, you know what they're going to run. But when they break that off and go back door, then, then that's just – it's a, just a read play, you know, and – and so I, I think all that stuff translates now. Will that allow them to beat the Bucks? Will it allow them to beat the the Sixers or whoever? I don't know. Um, but they're playing a brand of basketball that, that should allow them to be very competitive in a playoff setting against anyone. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yeah, it it has to give you confidence that you can slide him in during the playoffs and have him play 25 to maybe even 30 minutes um, and have just that be very competent defense and he had a little bit in his bag last night shooting a, a driving to the lane fadeaway jumper that um i had did not really know that he had um yeah his shot his shot making is like definitely taken a little bit of a downturn but that's just because he was doing some insane stuff but i just think he's been on both ends of the court just developed in a, a very impactful player um and there's just no drop off right now for the top like eight nine guys in their rotation um, and, which I think is also a good sign moving forward. And we talked about early in the season, we talked about how he was making shots, but defenses hadn't adjusted. They weren't really respecting him, right? And I, I think defenses have evolved against him. Now they know he's a shooter. And that's opened up other parts of his game that were kind of dormant. You know, this was a guy in Tennessee. When when he was at Tennessee, he he was their offense. Like, they ran everything through him. He He, he was great in the post. He was a very good passer, very mature with his decision-making, and had to adapt to being a spot-up shooter in the NBA because he's just, quite frankly, not good enough at all that other stuff to to do it all the time at the NBA level. But now that he's become a better shooter, and now that guys are flying out at him, you see more and more of that game. And I, I think, you know, guys talk about it all the time. I, I think you hear about it maybe with, with Kemba Walker as as much as anyone. Like, when he developed the three-point shot, that changed everything else about his game because now all of a sudden guys got to come out to him and, and his quickness, his ability to get in the lane, everything else, like, it just changed the game for him. And it changed – as soon as the defenses had to guard him, it changed everything else. And Grant kind of feels a little bit like that, obviously not to the extent Kemba did where he was, you know, several-time All-Star – scoring a ton of points, everything else. But for Grant, you know, he's gone from this non-threat who teams would totally leave to this guy who teams are really closing out against and is now taking that ne- next step where he's hurting those closeouts. And and that that's another thing for the Celtics that's important come playoff time, that, that he's hit enough shots that teams have to treat him as a threat now. Uh, and he's willing enough to shoot that teams have to treat him as a threat now. And the, what you said about them having the uh, their bench 
you know, they're not having much drop off. The Eddie House, Dennis Schroeder comment <laughs> on, on NBC Sports Boston. Did, did that stuff. did did that make you just so happy? So for anyone listening right now who ha- didn't see it, Eddie House, you know, they they asked him. I think it was a question about whether Tatum and Brown were doing enough at the beginning of the season. He's like, hey, yeah, it was all Dennis's fault. <laughs> it was all Dennis's fault. He was out there. He didn't. Uh, Eddie I, House didn't just say it at halftime. He didn't just say it immediately after the game. It was the point of emphasis that he kept returning to. The hashtag blame Dennis agenda was strong. And things that have, like, you talk about the movement and the player movement, the ball movement, it has looked tremendously better uh, since Dennis's departure. And so I loved it. I loved Eddie House in the studio. I loved him blaming Dennis. It's uh, the exact type of analysis I was looking for. Uh, and it just brought a uh, smile ear to ear on my face. See, I, I, I don't, I'm not ready to sit here and blame, blame Shooter for everything because the Celtics did turn the corner while he was still on the roster. That said, they turned the corner and he didn't turn that corner with them. And since, since he's been moved at the deadline, the, and, and, I think Josh Richardson fit into this Celtics way. Like Josh Richardson bought in. Josh Richardson was part of what they were trying to do. Dennis. Josh Richardson's that, shooting like 48% from three ever since uh, going to San Antonio, which is kind of wild. Josh Richardson is one of the most lethal three point shooters who ever lived. <laughs> uh, well, not, not in the Celtics uniform. But I'm, I, I just think the, and it, it, it's an upgrade from Schroeder to Peyton Pritchard. And I don't think a lot of people would have seen it that way. Earlier in the season, I wait, wait, are you kidding me? I think I said that before the season started that if everything goes correctly, what did you say after one Dennis game? And what did you say after one game? But what did you say after one game? I guess I think I maintained that throughout the entire year. Oh no, you you took it back at at some point, and then then you hop hop back onto your initial take. Um, <laughs> All right, that's fair. But, but just the the shooting and the the level the ability to fit in. And, and allow Tatum and Brown to flourish, which is the key part of what Brad Stevens has been stressing about building out the rest of the roster. Schroeder just, there was friction there in, in the way he played the game versus the way the other guys want to play the game. And and there's not that same friction with Peyton Pritchard. There's not that same fric- friction with Derek White. And so I think from from a standpoint, the, the bench – you know, the Celtics, as well as they played before the trade deadline, I forget how many games they had won out of how many entering the trade deadline, but they had a really They won like four in a row, but they were against terrible teams. And it was not, Dennis did nothing because he only played like 15 minutes. Ime yeah. had already given up on him. Don't they, give Dennis had, any credit. They had already turned the co- the corner as a team before the trade deadline. Uh, but their their bench, the, the numbers with their bench, the plus minus, just just wasn't keeping pace nearly with what the starters were doing. And so they, they figured they had a need to address. And I think honestly that, that they were, they did not think Dennis Schroeder was a good fit. Uh, and I think, I think Eddie, Eddie, Eddie might, be, might've been a little harsh uh, on, on Schroeder, but, but I think it, it it's clear that, you know, the, the playing style has sustained no matter who's on the court lately. And and it, it's it's funny, too, because the, the last five guys on the bench 
are really there just just for they're they're just celebration guys. They, they like there is no need to have those guys in uniforms. They are. What are you talking about? They're playing on the final five minutes, knocking down shots. There is very little need to have those guys in uniforms. Then, uh, Ime Odoko is never going to put any of them in a game when it matters, unless unless something drastic happens. Um, but the, we need the to talk eight, about Malik Fitz being one of the, the better eight guys or, or nine guys that he does play have have been very good, and and they're all on the same page, and I think that's important. Yeah, let, let's let's talk about Malik Fitz. He's one of the better bench celebrators I've I've seen in a while. It's not something the Celtics have had like a, a good specialty in um in some time. So it feels like the camera just finds him after every big play and he's always doing something cool. I my, a, my, it takes a special talent to do that. My thing about him is, you know, obviously the Celtics built their roster on versatility. They they wanted guys who could guard a bunch of different positions. They wanted guys who can do a lot of different things on the court. His celebration versatility is off the chart. <laughs> This dude, he he's not doing the same thing over and over again. Like he he's not over there just just raising the roof and that's his thing. Or like he's got it all, you know. Sometimes you look over there and he's he's doing a little dance with his feet. Other times he's got the air guitar. He he really has a a a deep 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 repertoire of celebration. I, it might be endless. Um, and I don't know whether he works on that. Like he's, he sits at home and and goes in front of the mirror and pulls out his air guitar and, and starts working. No, no, it. that's that's natural. That's just pure reaction in the moment. You can't teach that type of thing. It's a gift. It it kind of reminds me of the 2012 days when they started the flex, flexing thing. Was that it? With Marquise Daniel, they had all those guys. And, that sounds but they were, about right. They they were doing just one. Malik Fitz, has, he's got them all. He's got them all. Like y- Yabu had the bow and arrow thing, you know. But, but that was only when he played, you know. Like Malik Fitz Malik, is making an impact from the bench. Yeah, not since Theo Pinson have I seen <laughs> su- such a promising celebration prospect. One thing I, I don't want to I want to like constrain Malik's creativity at all, but I would like to see him as the leader of the bench mob, you know, get a little bit more of his teammates involved, maybe get all five of those guys uh, involved in a celebration. But, you know, he's it's tough to coordinate those type of things. It has to be a, a kind of a group effort there. But I think he, Ime should give him more room to kind of uh, coordinate all sort of bench celebrations. I think that'll be definitely something that the Celtics can work on, you know, in their final 10 games of the season. So, so you want, like, like some some dance level choreography here. Well, I mean, I don't think they need to. All five guys like, need to like work break in out in a Disney movie on the sideline. I don't think it needs to be choreographed, but like you know the you know the kid and play dance. Um, like maybe two guys could start doing that. Uh, I don't know, just a handshake, celebratory handshakes with um, Nick Stauskas. Who knows? Sam Hauser could get involved. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to leave it up to Malik Fitz to be creative. I'm not going to uh, try to ask for anything specific, um, but I do think it would be it would be nice to see. Um, getting back to actual basketball, they, I mentioned the Celtics have ten games left. This is before the Thunder. We're recording before the Thunder game 
on uh, Monday night. Marcus Smart's not going to play because apparently he has a sinus injury. Rob Williams is not going to play because uh, tweaked his knee a little bit. So those guys will get some rest. Other than, I think, getting some rest for the guys down the stretch, like what do you, what would you be emphasizing if you were Emir? What do you think the Celtics should be working on um, in these final 10 games? I think one thing they should do is try to avoid the Nets in the first round. <laughs> I think another thing they should do is is rest there and they're they're not playing Robert Williams against the Thunder. Uh, I don't know whether that's simply out of caution, simply out of trying to lower his minutes or whether that's an actual body thing, but limit the minutes for Horford and Robert Williams because Horford's 35 and Robert Williams has an injury history and, and you're going to need both those guys to play a lot of minutes in the playoffs. Uh, so I think that's another goal. And then like, it's weird because there are 10 minutes left and or 10 games left rather. And, the Celtics just don't have a lot to figure out. Like they're they're not searching for a new lineup. They're not searching for a starting lineup. They're not searching for the guys to impact the back end of the rotation. Like things are pretty set. And and so to to me, the last ten games should be getting guys appropriate rest, trying to continue the same brand of basketball they've been playing for a while. And and just keep riding the wave. The only thing I can think of, and it's something that as much as I dislike uh, the personality of this coach, I think he's quite good at Nick Nurse always has the Raptors just ready to throw in a crazy zone and they're like ready to play it and help do that throughout the season. Um, I don't know if I want like the Celtics. is a wizard at that too. Yeah, Spolster is very good at it too. And it's something that like, can really change the the flow of a game in a playoff series. And so maybe it's like working in uh, a zone like that is something you can work on, but that's the type of like luxury you can have um, when you're playing this well, heading down the stretch of the season. Uh, and I, it's just like really difficult. To, and, uh, the, the other part of that is why do you, why would you want to play zone when your man-to-man defense is so good? It's, and, it's purely to have just a, a curveball to throw. It's like, yeah. Well, you're right. Like their defense should be that good where they just like are not where they're not getting like consistently beaten. So they don't need to throw a curveball. But um, I don't know. That's, I'm trying, just trying to think of like because it's not like something you can work on on the offensive end where it's like working on how to beat a zone because that requires the other team. So in terms of like things that they control or try to implement at this point or try to be more prepared for the playoffs, um, other than just like continuing to share the basketball and play good basketball and then get some rest for the key guys. I don't know what more else they can do. Uh, and at this point, like, I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about the standings. I just don't think you can control the the standings that much because it's so tight in the Eastern conference. So you just have, you're not going to really know or have a good sense of where the standings are going to be. I think until the final week. And at, at some point, if you think the Celtics are uh, one of the best teams of the Eastern conference, they got to play who's in front of them. Like, you can't do that much standing manipulation now. Um, you just got to go roll basketballs out there, play basketball, and then play whoever you play. I just, like, I see the Sixers. The Sixers are resting both Harden and Embiid tonight on the second night of a back-to-back. I, I get that for rest. And and, um, flip side, maybe it's good to play the Nets early. 
when Ben Simmons will have, I don't know how much, how many games under his belt, if any, when the New York vaccine mandate may still be in play, when like that team has a lot of factors to figure out. So maybe, maybe, maybe you want to face him in round one. Maybe that's the spin zone you use if the Celtics get the two seed and end up playing the Nets in, in the first round. So, or do you get the two I, seed and you play a team the Nets loses to and you play like, I don't know, the Cavs in round one and then you have home court in round two. Like, I just think if you can get the two seed, go and get the goddamn two seed. Like, it's stop, stop playing around with the shenanigans like that. I just think it's, it's worth it to play good basketball and let the chips fall where they may. You can't tempt the basketball gods. I don't think it's, I'm saying it's never worked in the past, but I don't know. I can't remember like, uh, manipulations of standings that uh, that could have happened. Um, um, but I, I've got I've got two things I want to talk about before we get to listener questions. Number one, the Al Horford to Robert Williams alley oop. Oh, the high low has just been a beautiful thing, and I don't know whether Horford has ever really had a lob threat to throw that pass to before like i'm trying to think maybe josh smith back when he was in atlanta um i i i honestly don't remember enough about those teams to to know whether horford was regularly throwing josh smith alley-oops at the time but he's just a wizard at it he he catches the ball and he knows as soon as he catches it that the defense has committed enough to him that Robert Williams is going to be open. And then he puts it up on a tee for Robert Williams. And, and the, the level of knowledge from Horford and, and spatial awareness to know before he even catches it, that Robert Williams is going to be wide open for an alley-oop dunk. And then the ability to put it where it's supposed to be, that has been really, really a beautiful, beautiful duo over the past couple of months or so, um, that, that lob, that lob passed. So I, I had to point that out. And then we got to talk about the, uh, the Batman nickname. <laughs> Explain to the people why, why that nickname exists. Well, I, I, honestly, it went over my head for a little while. When, when Jalen Brown came out and said that Grant Williams wanted him to tell the media that that Grant believes his new nickname, Grant believes Grant's new nickname should be Batman. I was like, why the fuck does Grant Williams want to be called Batman? And it took me a little while to realize that he had limited the Joker (laughs) in the game. And uh, just a little, little Batman humor. I'm not for it for the record. Like, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, no. Um, but I, I do respect the audacity of, of trying to claim the Batman nickname after, after holding Nico somewhat limiting the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> that block was great. Uh, but not worthy of the Batman nickname. At least it, it wasn't even the, the worst Grant Williams nickname proposed in that, that same media session though. Jalen Brown said he should be called Frank Lucas if he keeps it up. Frank Lucas, the, the yeah, that gangster. One, 
because he was dealing heroin to the opposing team and making them sleepy. I don't I didn't get the. Well, that. He, he, he said he said because if he plays like that, he's going to make people give him his respect. So I think it was a respect thing. But I I'm also not for that. Like Batman and Frank Lucas, no, no, no. <laughs> They're they're worse at giving out nicknames. The Celtics players are worse at giving out nicknames than Chris Forsberg over at NBC Sports Boston. And Forsberg likes a good a nickname as much as uh, as much as I do. And sometimes it sticks, and sometimes it doesn't. I, I, express, I respect the attempt. I mean, you got to shoot your shot, but I don't think uh, Frank Lucas or the Batman is going to stick. Just no matter how many photoshops I see Grant Williams uh, doing of himself with the bat. Uh, man mask on, which I just saw on his Instagram. I just don't think it's uh, it's going to happen. Yeah, um, and then the, the only winner of that whole display, the whole press conference Batman discussion was Jason Tatum who said Grant played great, but I'm going to call him Grant and I ain't going <laughs> to call him no damn Batman. That was that was the only the only positive outcome from the entire Batman, Frank Lucas discussion. Frank Lucas, Batman, Jesus Christ. <laughs> These are the things we're talking about now that the Celtics are um, oh so dominant. Let's go to the phone lines, as we call them, and start off with James S. James, thank you for joining us here on Anything is Potable. What's up? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you touched on it earlier. Well, you touched on Richardson earlier, and this is obviously nitpicking. And Scal actually mentioned it. Uh, I don't know what game it was. It was on the road trip. But Derek White is, like, you know, shooting like shit. And I was just wondering if you guys, you know, see him in practice at all or warm-ups. Is it a mental thing right now? Is it because he's getting good looks? Like Scal was saying, He's getting good looks. You know what I mean? It's not like he's he's forcing up bad shots. He's getting wide open threes. And, you know, obviously he's not a 45% career free throw, you know, three-point shooter. But, you know, is this like a mental thing, you think? And you think he's going to be able to work it out in the next 10 games? Or, you know, because it's going to be tough. They're going to they, they're gonna leave him wide open when the second unit comes in, unless things change in the next 10 games. Yeah, so I don't know whether it's a – mental thing or not uh it certainly seems to be because he's just missed a lot of wide open ones he he's turned down some pretty open ones um he's even tried just like catching the ball on the run and immediately attacking like instead of just like being a spot-up shooter he's just tried some uh some of that i do think it has to be mental and i think the only answer is keep shooting yeah, I think that's kind of the that's kind of how it's going to have to be. Um, and, and I do think he's he's very smart, and and he's he's a good cutter. He's good on the drive. He's a good passer. So he'll have ways to counteract it. Even if he's not making shots in the playoffs, he'll have ways to hurt teams that that do play him like a non-shooter and really, really sag off of him. But, but yeah, he, he's going to have to make some shots. And, and I'm sure that there will be games that probably hinge in the playoffs on whether Derek White makes a shot or two. 
Like he's he's gonna be left open in key moments. And if it is a confidence thing, like use these next ten games to get a little rhythm and the thing about it is like he has not been a good career three point shooter. Like his his career three point percentages are very Marcus Smartish where he he gets them up, um, doesn't doesn't make them too too often. So it, it's not like this is just a blip on the radar. Like he's definitely shooting significantly worse than he's ever shot before in a season. But it's not like he's he's a former forty percent shooter who you just trust to, that water will find its level. Um, if water does find its level, like he's still not a great shooter. So he he's but he does need to make at least some shots for the Celtics in the playoffs. All right, let's go to Richard D. right now. Richard, how's it going? What's up, guys? How are we doing? How are Good. you? Good. How are you doing? Uh, our main man, Neesmith, has been out for a while. How's, how's uh, it going in the Richard household? It's miserable. It's brutal. No, he's – I've talked to Aaron <laughs> a good bit. He's, um, <clears throat> you know, after the injury that – he never had an injury in, like, literally middle school, high school, AAU. So the one at Vanderbilt kind of shook his confidence because it was it was pretty bad. So the, the initial thing was as long as this wasn't that, and it wasn't the the stress fracture again. So um, he's he's I don't know what I don't know what they're telling you guys. Uh, I don't know what officially they're going to rest him or, or sit him, whatever. But he he's he says he's fine, which you know long term he's fine. But I know man, you talk about having the worst Charlie Brown luck. It's like finally get an opportunity that you have an opportunity gets hurt. So, you know, I'd love to see him come back. I'm not so sure they're going to bring him back. You, you guys would know more than that than me. I didn't ask him, but physically he's fine. He's not, he's not, um, he's not like shelled like the injury he had in college, but just a tough setback, but the Celtics are playing great. He's a great team player. He's happy. So go team. Go team. Go team. You got anything else for us, man? I don't know. I don't we got we got um we got AAU tonight, so I'll be able to tell you the next the next big one's coming through in the next oh, couple yeah. of years. But uh yeah, for but for right now. Uh you know, we got obviously Josiah James, the point guard. Well, he's not a point guard, Rick Barnes plays him as a as a three, but he's really a point guard in the NBA. But the kid at Tennessee and then uh, Jalen Slauson at Furman has decided he's going to use his extra year to come back and play. But those, those dudes will, they will definitely, definitely uh, join those guys in the NBA in the next couple of years. So we'll see. There you go. South Carolina stand up. South Carolina stand up. That's right. Thanks. All right, guys. Go sell. Right. Thanks Richard. Take care. Now. I do hope that Neesmith, I think he's, uh, still out against the Thunder, but like it would be a good opportunity to get him some run in these final um, 10 games. But if that happens, we know we'll have Richard call in and uh, give us a, give us his take on Green Bean's performance. Let's go to Alejandro P right now. Alejandro, how is it going? Hello, you got me? Yes, sir. Hey, how's it going? Pretty well, pretty well. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I have, I have two questions for you. First of all, um, so you, you were talking earlier about what things could improve for the playoffs. What do you think about 
like I remember in the Dallas game, they were they were having some trouble with the doubles. Like they weren't really working off. When Tatum had to, to pass out of him, they weren't really moving around well enough to get good shots. Like, and then you saw the Mavs were getting good shots. So, what do you think about like that as as a thing of improvement coming into the playoffs? I mean, definitely, but it, it kind of is like you need teams to double. It's hard to dictate how teams are going to cover Tatum, but I do think handling a lot of pressure on Tatum is going to be something they need to work on. And it's not like something like the the Warriors, Kings, and Nuggets all showed a lot of ball pressure to Jason Tatum, so I feel like they handled it well. It's maybe it's just going to be see how they fare against kind of the better defenses in the league. Yeah, and obviously the Mavericks are one of those, and they have a lot of guys with size to, so that when they do double, like if it's Luka, Dorian Finney-Smith, whoever, like that second guy has size. And I think that's important too. That like that that helped force some some off off target passes, helped disrupt the rhythm a little bit. But yeah, I think for the most part they've handled those doubles pretty well and and very well, really lately. Um, so I I don't know if that's a huge concern, but obviously it, it'll be something that the Celtics face a whole lot of when it comes to the playoffs and. And I, I think they've gotten a lot better at handling that. And when you think back to when Tatum first started kind of emerging, like at first he he was very bad. <laughs> not very bad. He was he was not great at handling double teams. He's gotten better. The team around him has gotten better. Um, and and now I don't want to call them like a, a machine with it because we saw the holes against Dallas, and maybe they won't have enough shooting when it really matters. But but they they've they've been pretty smooth and pretty smart about handling those lately. Okay. Thanks. And then the other question was, was more of a comment. I just want to shout out Sean Grandy, like his commentary yesterday, he was basically like on cloud nine, the entire game, like just talking about, like, you don't know if you heard the quote, the, they come into your city, they eat, they eat your, your food, they stay in your hotel and they beat your team. So that was a great quote. That was a great quote. Salute to Grandy. Yeah, he was like off the charts. It was it was funny. It was also a little bit like scary, like for a second. And then you remember they're not the December Celtics. They were not going to blow a 28 point lead. <laughs> You're still scarred, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ime is too. He played yeah. uh, playing play Jalen and, and Tatum sometimes too late in the game. He 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 does not like. I guess Brad. I guess all coaches have have that little fear no matter what. Um, I, I remember some games with, with Brad just being struck at at how, you know, he they were up 25 or whatever. He never thought it was over. It's just, it's a sick, sick profession where you're always, <laughs> always worried about the next thing. I would say basketball coaches are just generally sickos. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, also shout out to Sean Grandy. It's just like wild how much talent the Celtics have, uh, where they can like replace Corbin with Grandy and uh, Grandy's just ex- exceptional at his job. Uh, let's go to the always high energy Joshua B. Joshua B. Thank God we got to you. Oh, Joshua B. Trying again. Up oh, pressing the button, but not getting anything. So you know what? Maybe maybe it didn't work. 
Maybe Joshua B uh, did not exist. And I, we'll, we'll have to oh, he's back. Here he's back. Oh, he's back. He's back. He's back. Did we get him? I pressed the button, but nothing's happening. Oh, it's too bad. Joshua I know he's going to come. Oh, Joshua. He's going he's he's to criticize me for being not the, incredibly optimistic about the Celtics and saying that other teams could possibly beat them. I keep pressing the Joshua B button trying to get him to join the stage, but it's just, it's just not working for us. That's a true and shame. So, Josh always brings electricity. He definitely always brings electricity. I mean, I know he's going to say he's a very optimistic guy. He's saying, why not the Boston Celtics? And frankly, he, I, I'm thinking the same thing. Oh, we got him. I hear him. Um, you're absolutely right. I was going to say, thank God and fuck everybody else. <laughs> I want to go all the way back to the Dallas Mavericks game. Because I think that's where everything is stemming from. Because I don't think you think that the Detroit Pistons are going to beat us in the playoffs. I don't think you think that the Atlanta Hawks are going to beat us in the playoffs. And as far as I know, I don't even think either of those teams are going to be in the playoffs. So let's just focus on the Dallas Mavericks who might meet us in the NBA Finals. Because that must be where all your fear is coming from. I'll tell you the only way to stop the Celtics <laughs> offense. There's only one way to stop the Celtics offense. And it happened in the third quarter of that game. And Jay King hasn't said anything about it. All his articles, Ooh. all his podcasts. He hasn't said anything about it. I'll tell you how you stop the Celtics Coming offense. Coming at the kid. Yeah, I, I am. Especially on this particular point. Because nobody said anything about it. I've been listening to The Athletic for two weeks since that game. All I wanted to hear from anybody was the way you stop the Celtics offense is that the refs get ice-cold shooters <laughs> back into the game in the third quarter. I watched that game from start to finish, and in the third quarter, we were up by 13 points. And you know what happened? Did the Mavericks make their shots? No, the Mavericks didn't make their shots. They scored 39 they points in that quarter. And where did they get that 13 points back from? I'll tell you where, because you can look it up yourself. They got it from the free-throw line. What was Spencer Dinwiddie going into the going into the third quarter? Was it 0 for 6? I think I'm right on that. I might be wrong, but it was very close to being just ice cold. I have ice cubes in my freezer that were colder than the Mavericks were in that game. And what happened? The same thing that happens whenever a, whenever a streaky shooter goes cold. They say <laughs> the exact same thing. It's always, it's always. Listen to any broadcast you've ever wanted to watch on any team you've ever watched. A driver or a person's having trouble scoring. What do you do? You drive okay, in. And you I, get I, the free I, throw. I got, a, I got a question for you. Yeah, sure. Ask me. <laughs> Why have you held on to this through so far a three and zero Western Conference road trip? By the time most. Oh, most I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I held on to it. Because I'll tell you why I held on to it. No, I can answer that question. I held on to it. Because when I was sitting there listening to you guys talk to the people from Barstool, who, by the way, was awesome on the podcast, right? I was sitting there with my hand on the button saying request to speak, and I was busy listening to the Kevin Garnett conversations. That's why I held on to it. And by the way, since that time, <laughs> since that time, what's happened? We've beaten everybody, and we're going to beat the Thunder tonight because if we're not – I mean, if you know any team is tanking, it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. Of all the teams who want to lose games, it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we're going to win that game too. Where is the conversation about Al Horford going down low and basically beating anybody for those two points? You can hit that spam button 
over and over and over. Tatum throws the ball down to Al Horford and we get two points. If we get a hack, then it's three points because Al Horford knows how to do two things, make layups and shoot free throws. We are unstoppable, except when the refs stop us, except when it's the middle of a Sunday afternoon and it just happens to be getting out of hand (laughs) and New York calls it into Dallas and it's like, hey, hey, keep, keep the game close. And another thing, that's a foul. <laughs> the last, that last play of the, of the half, right, when Hubie Brown is sitting around going, well, I don't know what the hell they're looking at. You know, it's clear that he hit him on the wrist and that the shot was up. Have you, you thought about this every day since that game? Like, like are you sitting there yeah, in the shower like, like, man, that motherfucker Hubie Brown. He got Spencer Dinwiddie hot. Spencer Dinwiddie was 0 for 6. Then all of a sudden he's making a three-pointer at the buzzer because the refs in the third quarter. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because it should tell you, because it should tell you everything you need to know. It should tell you everything in every article. By the way, it's told Jared Weiss everything he's ever wrote in every tweet that he sent out. Every tweet has been, oh, the Celtics are so unstoppable. No, they're stoppable, but the refs have to get involved. The refs always have to get involved. That's what needs to happen. Otherwise, Marcus Smart is just going to be doing judo jumps from the, from the floor <laughs> and showing off how he can take charges. The bigger question that we need to be asking, right, can we, can't we advance to the two seed? And if we do advance to the two seed, are we in any danger? So here's where my questions come in. Are we in real danger from complete teams, specifically Miami and Milwaukee and maybe even Toronto? We are going to smoke the Nets and the 76ers. Those teams are ridiculous. But are we in real danger from, like, the Miami Heat? Zach Harper always seems to think so on his, you know, ridiculous, like, power rankings. (laughs) culture. But, like, are we in real danger from a team that starts more fossils than, like, a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Are we in real danger from, like, Giannis, especially with the way the Bucks have been playing lately? Um, like, are, are, like, is there really a fear that the turn it on since Brooke Lopez has been out all year long? You know, like, where's, like, what are we really scared of? You know, what can we really not compete with in the Eastern Conference other than the refs? Don't answer the refs. <laughs> Actual. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! I'm gonna have to take a breath. Everybody's gonna need to calm down. Uh, Just an electric absolute... call from from start to finish. Uh, Josh, I'm glad we were able to get him in there. That was oh wow! To air. Josh has been holding on to those grievances tight. When he when he started talking about what Evie Brown was talking about before <laughs> half, <laughs> he has ice cubes in his freezer that were colder than Spencer Dinwiddie before that third quarter. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 a call uh spencer did yeah, what he did have uh, i think i think we gotta give josh quarter. like no matter what we've got to let josh speak on the podcast so it doesn't build up within him because that that was clearly <laughs> like like two weeks worth of of pent-up frustrations as to his question about whether the the heat the bucks some of the more complete teams in the Eastern conference could give the celtics Fits. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like the fossils he's talking about, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, those guys are pretty damn good. Bam Adebayo has been playing at an absurd level defensively. That team, PJ Tucker, they're just super tough. Uh, they're kind of built sort of like the Celtics are, except maybe with 
couple more shooters and a couple less defenders. So I think, yes, the, the Heat are capable of beating the Celtics. Yes, it would be an absolute bloodbath if they met. Um, I don't know who would win, but but I think the Heat are formidable. The Bucks absolutely formidable. We saw them win the championship last year. They Brooke Lopez is back. I don't know if he'll be playing at the level he was before, but he makes a huge difference. Um, there are definitely a lot of teams with question marks, including Philadelphia and Brooklyn, but I'm not ready to write off a team with Joel Embiid and James Harden. I'm not ready to write off a team with Kevin Durant and at least some of the time Kyrie Irving and maybe Ben Simmons if, if his back feels up to it. So East is tough, um, but what a call. What a damn call. Just a <laughs> call. I'm, I'm yeah, ready to as, write as off this. Derek just noted in, in the chat, he said Spolstra scares the I, – I imagine he, he meant the shit out of me. Uh, he didn't write <laughs> it. But – and their team always outperforms some of their parts. And I do think Spolstra in a playoff series, is, that's that's an issue. And and he'll, he'll, he'll funk, it, funk the game up. And he's got a lot of dudes this year. That that give him a lot of different options and and Ime Udoka for as as well as he's coached as 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 much as he's led this turnaround he's never done it in the playoffs so we'll see what what type of playoff coach he is if he's quick enough to make adjustments if you know in the fourth quarter of a close game against a great team will he dial up the right the right plays will will he leave Derek White in the game will he go with Peyton Pritchard I don't know I don't know. I don't even know what the right answer is, but but you got to find the right answers in the playoffs. So still a lot, still a lot for the Celtics to prove. But man, man, they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, and the question is not whether or not they can compete with those teams. They absolutely can compete with them. It's just those teams have very good. You mentioned Spo. The Bucks were a championship team last year. I am ready to write off the 76ers, but that's purely just out of spite and um, not liking their organization. I'm not ready to write off any team with Kevin Durant because uh, you know who he is. He's Kevin Durant. I think the Celtics are at the point where they're going to be in a competitive series with any of those teams. And I would be shocked if like a, a series between those teams ended in less than six games. Um, it's going to become really come down to matchups. And I think it's going to be an absolute bloodbath, but um, the Celtics are perfectly capable of winning. I just don't know if like they're favored or should win just because those are for all the reasons you mentioned uh, extremely talented teams, but uh, just because I have it in front of me, um, if we're going, if we're going to relitigate the third quarter of the Mavericks game, the Mavericks did hit six threes in that quarter, uh, and Dorian Finney-Smith was five for six from the field, uh, scored thirteen points, um, and so they did the the line ten, they the went the line ten times. But if you take away those ten times, they still beat the Celtics in the quarter, uh, twenty-eight to twenty-six, and so um, who knows what happens. Josh, I'm not, Josh, I'm not letting you back I'm not letting you back. I see your hand raised, Josh. I'm not. We got to wrap this thing up. I have uh, other things to do in my life. Thank you guys uh, for joining us here. Hold on. on what's, the the, what's the final score of the Thunder game? If, if, oh, if you have to predict. Final score of the Thunder game. I think it's going to be Thunder 112, Celtics 108. I'm predicting a loss, a letdown game. Oh, wow. Oh, but wow. But Peyton Pritchard goes 8 for 8 from 3. 112 to 96 Celtics. Peyton Pritchard goes 17 for 17 from a high yard. <laughs> oh, is, is 17 from 17 from Peyton Pritchard potable? 
Absolutely. And I got